Kelly and I were talking, and we feel as though we've been agreeing with each other too much lately. Well, welcome to Indubitably, by the way. It is um, unnatural for us to agree about too many things other than liking cats. Um, it's about it. Yeah, but the last few episodes, we haven't argued too much. So we went on a search far and wide for a topic that we could argue against each other on today's episode for your entertainment and hopefully education. And I think we've come up with a pretty good one. I'm sure many of you loyal listeners know um, there are a few things I get kind of opinionated about. Mm-hmm. So we're doing an episode on nail polish. <laughs> Wait, no, what? no, everybody knows. Everybody knows that I like socialism. So we thought for today's debate, we will be doing socialism versus capitalism. Kind of a classic one. I'm I'm sort of surprised it's taken us this long to tackle it. Well, I do feel that this is such a one-sided debate that it kind of makes sense. We haven't gone near it yet. And I'm actually a little surprised we're taking it on today because I feel like it's really obvious it's going to win. Capitalism? No, capitalism might win in real life a lot of the time, unfortunately. But when it comes to like the logical and ethical basis for one of those systems, I think one is clearly superior. Right. So Kelly, if you haven't figured it out, is on today's episode going to be defending socialism. And I am going to be telling you all of the reasons why capitalism is the best system to have ever been invented or incorporated on Earth. And I feel like now might be a good time to remind our listeners that Kelly and I don't necessarily always believe some of the things that we say on this show, but for the sake of your entertainment and education, we're committed to putting forward stances, whether we agree with them necessarily or not. I don't need to do that disclaimer today. <laughs> and I make that disclaimer for no particular reason. Let's go capitalism. I don't know that you need to make that disclaimer either. I feel like you and capitalism are like, I can see why you would actually naturally be be a fan. Mm. Well, you might change your mind when we sell out to our corporate sponsors and start raking in millions in advertising dollars. Okay. When that happens, maybe I'll be singing a different tune. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all So to start things off, as we've said in previous episodes, even if we'll be disagreeing within any particular debate, you can have a much more productive discussion if you at least agree on the form that debate will take. So to give you all the most productive arguments to listen to today, Kelly and I have agreed to break this debate down into three parts. The first part of our capitalism versus socialism debate will be debating the pure version of each pure capitalism versus pure socialism i don't think it's possible but it should be a fun conversation at least well one one half of that will be do you uh think that we can actually have a pure version of either one implemented in the world not as the world is currently arranged but i hold the possibility that Well, we'll talk about it, but I think there's a shifting tide towards one over the other. Fair enough. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes also, 
sometimes it is not just fun, but useful to have those more theoretical conversations because they can inform a more practical policy conversation, which will be the second part of this episode, where we ask what happens if we're able to incorporate small parts of the other system into a larger framework that is either, so let's say, capitalism, but with some socialist policies, or vice versa, socialism, but if it were allowed to take on some capitalist policies to implement. It's like that old, you got chocolate in my peanut butter, you got peanut butter in my chocolate, except about um, entire economic and political systems. Mm, Reese's, the best of all the candies. Oh, that's going to have to be a different episode, isn't it? (laughs) It's like the capitalism of candy. (laughs) All right. And then the last thing we'll be talking about is an attempt to take this into the real world. We'll ask questions, where are we at now? Is the world or notable parts of it capitalist currently or socialist currently? And is that a good or bad thing? Now that we know where we're going, let's go ahead and hit the road. Right. So to start by discussing the merits of pure capitalism, right, in a theoretical level, I don't need to implement it anywhere yet versus your pure socialism, which, as we know, can't be implemented anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably start by what do each of these systems look like, right? Capitalism, I think, is easy to imagine. It's basically what we have now with potentially the abolition of taxes and publicly run social programs. Most of our listeners, I think, can wrap their heads around what capitalism, even a pure version of it, looks like. But what about socialism? So, Kelly, if you're going to be defending socialism, how do you envision this system playing out? What does it look like to you? Well, socialism is a system in which everybody is a stakeholder and gets a proportional say in what what is done with group decision making. So that is what initiatives are proposed and followed. And then what you do when you have income, say from industry, and you want to distribute it according to the wishes of the people who contributed to it and created it. It could sound like communism, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I think that what differentiates it from communism is that there is a lot more room for individual choice and nuance because ultimately communism is pretty like prescriptive in how decisions are supposed to be made, whereas socialism allows for like democratic decision-making as the society organizes itself and does what it wants to do in order to like create the most optimal outcomes for its people. Okay, so before I start attacking your position, let me see if I am understanding it correctly. Because there's another interpretation of socialism where there's some sort of centralized locus of power. Let's look at the economic systems that would exist under socialism, because I think that's the core of what we're talking about, especially contrasting it to capitalism. So a a pure form of socialism would look like everybody having a stake in what is produced. They have a stake in what, where to produce it and when to produce it and how to produce it and then what to do with the profits. So unlike now, where if you have the means of the capital, for lack of a better word, you decide what you're doing with that money kind of in, in isolation. Maybe you have shareholders, but you don't have the will of the people backing that decision. Socialism says that that's everyone's decision to make. So overthrowing the means of production the classic war cry of the socialist. 
I thought we weren't going to be straw manning each other's arguments today. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. I think there's two basic platforms here. And for a lot of debates, what makes them very challenging to weigh out is one side seems to have an ethical high ground, but lacks in practicality. The other seems to have more easily measurable, tangible value, but brings along with it moral ambiguity. And in this particular debate, I think those two things can be specified down to, on capitalism side, creation and progress of things like wealth or knowledge, and on socialism side, distribution, more ethical system of distribution. Does that seem fair? Maybe. <laughs> I want to see where you're going with this because I'm not I'm not sure I like how you've painted the terms here. I I would take I would contend that there is a degree of practicality that can ex exist with with socialism and I think it's not ambiguous what the moral issues are with capitalism. Let me ask you this. United States potentially the most capitalist country on the planet since 1776. This sounds like a, a Budweiser slogan. <laughs> um let's imagine, you know, the world that we're in now being dominated by capitalist ideologies. Let's take it back to 1776. Say that the United States decided to be a socialist country from that point moving forward, 250 so years later, what do you think the world would look like in terms of medicine, in terms of transportation, communication, all of the technologies that we enjoy today? Do you think we would be somewhere equivalent if we had adopted socialism as a, as a globe? I think that things could be even better than they are currently. I, I can I firmly believe that to be the case. Let's take medicine, for example. Right now, the driver for a lot of medical development and innovation is around profitability. I just learned recently that there is a dose of a medication that costs $3.5 million. And it does not help a lot of people, uh, obviously, because who can afford it? But that... The money is a huge driver behind how pharmaceuticals are created because the the incentive to create when you're in a capitalist system is like, what can you actually make money off of? Whereas if you are in a system where you don't have concerns about profitability because all of your needs are taken care of and everything is done fairly and equitably, then you can look at taking care of the issues that are of the largest concern to the people within that society as well. For example, uh, there are so many designer drugs that have been developed due to, due to their profitability at the expense of more necessary medical advancements, like maybe, I don't know, birth control for women that doesn't make them incredibly ill and give them potential heart attacks. There are ways in which we could be refocusing efforts if more people had a say in how those efforts were actually prioritized. Oh, well, one, if... You just let the masses choose. Are you sure they wouldn't still just prioritize Viagra over cancer treatment? I think that there would probably still be some of the types of drugs that make people's quality of life better. But I also believe that the people who've been clamoring for pharmaceutical companies to take their concerns seriously about like specific medical conditions and the effects of the drugs that they administer, I think that those could be heard much better in a system that was not driven as highly by the dollar. Okay, well, more seriously, the main concern with socialism is always motivation, right? Everything you're saying sounds great. Oh, we want our doctors and we want our pharmaceutical companies to focus on curing cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in a socialist society where things are distributed 
equally amongst people. Uh, where are the doctors? Who's staying in school for 12 years to receive the same amount of resources allocated to them as people who don't go to school at all, don't work anywhere near as hard? I think you're misunderstanding socialism because it isn't about, you know, paying everybody an equivalent amount regardless of the effort that they've put into something. It's that we collectively get to decide which things we value the most. And we probably can make decisions about paying people who go to medical school more for the uh, compensation of the amount of work that they've put into their profession. However, there would probably be more paid to people who do like manual labor because that's incredibly difficult work, even without necessarily requiring a high level of education behind it. The people who could be standing to make a lot less money, um, I I don't want to like give any of my employers any ideas, but like I have it pretty easy at work. I didn't need a ton of education to do what I do. And I don't have like any standing on my feet 12 hours a day requirements. Like I could make a little less money. So the society that gets to make a decision about what they prioritize and what they value can still acknowledge and uh, reward people for the amount of effort, but we're taking maybe different kinds of effort into consideration, educational effort, and then practical effort. Well, here's where, so your definition of socialism, I see why you would want to support a system like that, because it gets you away from basically supporting Putin um, or, or some of the leadership in the Soviet Union or China or North Korea, Cuba, etc. But the problem that comes with it is, I would argue in a capitalist system, we do still vote in a way who we prioritize, what they deserve to be paid, et cetera, et cetera, right? We vote with our dollars instead of under your system, presumably there's some kind of actual voting process. And But I think it gives us a window into how people think and what they would be prioritizing if given the decision. So one easy example here would be teachers. In a capitalist system, we have found out that we can basically underpay teachers, underappreciate teachers, not give them what they're due, and the education system suffers because of it. Don't you think that would be even worse in a socialist system? No. And I think I don't need to repeat the reasoning behind why I think that would be the case. I, I think more people who are stakeholders in these types of decisions getting to exercise their will in those decisions means better outcomes. Think of the number of teachers there are in this country. Imagine if they had some discretion in over how they were compensated through an electoral process. They don't currently. They have some unions, but they're very segmented. And overall, they're beholden to the elected officials that they may not necessarily have put into office and so on and so on. I don't see how Socialism could make things worse, and I believe it could make things better. No, but that's that's exactly my point, is under the system we have right now, we elect the people who will be deciding on teacher salaries. We elect the Board of Education. We have unions for teachers. Teachers go on strike. All of these things, they try to raise their voice inside of a larger democratic system, and they're basically just ignored. And then what you're proposing is a democratic system to assign people what their value is, but you're suggesting in your system somehow it's going to be different and they wouldn't be ignored. 
I think it's hard to concoct a worse electoral system than one that exists in a country like the United States, because the capitalism ethos within this country has put into this nation this uh, streak of individual interests that is unlike almost any other country. The fact that our economic system is based on competition and you have to outpace your peers and you have to be the winner has led to so many people saying, I'm in it for me and I don't care about anybody else as long as I get what I need out of this system. So I think it's not only that we're replacing a system in an ostensibly democratic sense with a different democratic system, but I think we're going to be changing the mindset entirely when we're looking at if we had gone back to 1776 and started as a socialist country, the entire you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps myth that we've lived by wouldn't exist. We would be, we care about each other in a way that this country does not. Well, and here's something I, we're going to talk about in our third segment when we start looking specifically at countries and trends in the real world. But because it's pertinent now, I think it's a mistake to conflate capitalism and the United States. So one of the other countries in the world at the moment, that might be the most capitalist would be China. And I think you could look to other examples that are predominantly capitalist in Europe. Uh, India would be another good example. And they value education there incredibly highly. They They pay incredibly well. And we're seeing that the vast majority of scientists, people working in tech, people working in medicine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are coming from those countries. So it's easy to like look at the United States and see the failing of the education systems here and say, oh, well, because the United States is capitalist, therefore education is failing. But there are other countries who are almost equally capitalist now as the United States, where under that system, educators and education in general is very highly valued and being compensated at that level, which I don't think necessarily would be happening in a socialist system. I don't know. Those are also countries that didn't adopt capitalism as a driving ethos until pretty recently. And I think that in a lot of cases, the emerging capitalist countries here do not have such a strong emphasis on the individual at the expense of the collective like we do here. Um, I mean, we can't possibly know how, how it would have turned out had things gone differently. But I do know that when I look at the United States, and its version of capitalism that it has employed. There are so many rugged individual type myths that go along with it that are frankly so disturbing. I don't see a way out of it other than to go towards socialism moving forward. A system that prevents you from making as much as you could possibly make, I think inherently reduces motivation. And I think that's a bad thing. I think that it brings with it a lack of creation, a lack of progress. And I think that's important because even if your socialist redistributions operate perfectly, you are redistributing a lot less than you could be, you know, maybe slightly more inequitably redistributing what you would get out of a capitalist system. A small piece of a bigger pie is better than an equivalent sized piece of a Keebler elf cookie. But if all your needs are being met by the state, everything that you would be so concerned about making the most money in order to cover the costs for 
if you didn't have to worry about electrical bills and you didn't have to worry about groceries, you, you didn't have to worry about housing, and you could really go for the career that suited your passion without having to be concerned about how much it paid you, what kind of freedom does that grant you? Exactly. And if you're given all of those freedoms, I don't think we're going to have people taking the difficult jobs, but it's the difficult jobs that drive society forward. That's my point under motivation. I don't think that the majority of people who go into medicine are doing so because of the profitability. I think they'd all be venture capitalists if that's what they really cared about. I do think that people have the passion to help others and the interest in the sciences and many other motivations behind becoming physicians. And the money is there because the amount of expense that goes into becoming a doctor, years and years of not <laughs> sleeping and like living off of ramen. Yeah, I can see why they're paid the way that they are in a system where you have to purchase all of these things that you need in order to live. But I, I see a system in which people who truly have a passion for that sort of thing can do so without necessarily being so compromised as they like claw their way through medical school. Well, but I don't think medical school is that difficult because it's expensive. I think it's that difficult because uh, I would like you, if you were my doctor, to know how to not let me die. And that takes a lot of studying. And if you don't have some sort of profit incentive to get through med school in, let's say, you know, six years, why don't you just... Eh, Take your time, do it in 12. Or why don't a lot of people say, ah, you know what? Yeah, I want to help people, but maybe I'm not going to do it in such a difficult field, right? I, I think just inherently it is demotivating. Am I saying that nobody will do it? No, but I think we will have a significantly lower number and probably lower quality of doctors than we do currently under a capitalist system. I don't think that that's true. And I actually think that the current system might actually exclude people who would otherwise participate in it because they cannot shoulder the upfront costs. You know, they have to work and they couldn't take time off of work in order to go to school, for example. How many people are we shutting out of a profession that could be their true passion that they would actually be stars at performing? Either system, we're not getting the most people we could unless we like mandated that everybody who could become a doctor became a doctor. But I don't see it as being substantially worse under socialism. Again, I think it could potentially be better. Hmm. All right. Well, let's, for the sake of the conversation, move away from motivation, away from creation, and onto distribution. Why do you think that your democratic system of distribution is superior to the free market solving? Well, I don't think that the free market necessarily solves. Um, there are government interventions that ensure people who are not on profitable trade routes get the products that they need in order to survive currently. But if it was purely a capitalist system, they probably would never get anything shipped to them, like in remote Alaska. I have a student that is from Alaska, so I have case studies about this now. Thank you. <laughs> so I think that when you're talking about making sure the system serves everyone, you're making sure that people who are not located in a convenient profit maximizing space still get what they need. So is your thesis here, and I suppose it has to be, that if we democratically vote on where resources go, how we distribute resources, that the masses 
will make appropriate and equitable decisions in terms of who gets what? I think it's more that we would make a decision such as, do we as a whole believe that everybody who lives in this society should be able to receive mail? (laughs) And then we consider the practical implications of the fact that people don't always live in city centers. It isn't that you're voting on every single individual that lives on a mountainside and asking whether or not they, as a person, deserve to get mail. It's about, do we believe this is a resource that everybody in this society is entitled to? We do. Okay, well, let's figure out how to make it happen. See, I I have a different view of distribution. I actually, I don't think that it operates from the ground up. So meaning, you know, it sounds like what you're suggesting is, okay, we've got a list of things and we start with all the money in a, in a pile and we're like, okay, we're going to give some money here because this is useful. We're going to give some money here. This is useful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? What I think happens is, you know, we want to use all of the money, but there's more things that we want than we have money for, which is again, why progress and creation is important, but putting that aside. So the conflict here comes when we say, okay, now that we've spent all of our money, but we still want more stuff, as is inherent to human nature, where do we cut money from, right? So as opposed to let's allocate everywhere, the question is, what do we cut? And I think that like with my example of the teachers earlier, the reason that's important is because when it comes time to decide who gets their stuff taken away, humans have proven that they're pretty short-sighted, pretty selfish, and pretty unreliable with those decisions. And I think at its core, that undermines this entire socialist system. I believe that people are short-sighted about these things because a lot of people have been raised in societies that prioritized selfishness. And that is something that can be amended for future generations. But I also believe that when you are in a system that has to make a decision about what the collective prioritizes and you recognize that there are opportunity costs, you can't do everything all the time, that you will make decisions that are in the best interest of the, the highest priority things. It's it's a, a form of utilitarianism, right? The greatest good for the greatest number of people, except in this form of utilitarianism, the people themselves are actually making the decision about what they consider the greatest good for themselves, rather than a very small number of people who are often making these utilitarian decisions unchecked. They've been given the legitimacy of having been elected into a certain role, but the actual decision that they're making does not receive any uh, vetting from the public, for example. And I trust people. I do, even though I'm a cynic, I know you're probably going to attack this premise because <laughs> you I know how you feel about how I feel about people. We already gave the disclaimer that we don't necessarily believe everything that we're saying. I do trust that the people who have to make decisions about these sorts of things, when they consider the whole and they consider what's best for themselves, are going to make decisions that are better than capitalism ever could. They're going to make the decisions that keep their families fed and housed and get them access to medical care and get them the resources that they need and that people do prioritize their practical needs over their like momentary wants most of the time. Not it won't be perfect, but it will be 
useful and it will be done with their consent and their full informed consent at that. Here's how I see this playing out. I see a city of people, let's say Seattle. I know how much you like Seattle. And they say, shoot, our roads are going bad, probably because we have no engineers because we don't have an incentive to go to school. But anyway, there's a bunch of potholes in our roads. So we have either the money to fix the potholes in this city where millions of us live, or we can send mail to your random student that lives in who the fuck knows where Alaska. And he votes for, I deserve my mail. And they think, well, there's millions of us and we want to fix the potholes. And so that's what they vote for. And this guy gets screwed out because of your democratic system. I think that's how people operate. And I think that as much as you would like to suggest that socialism would distribute things equitably and everybody would get their basic needs met, I don't see that happening across the board. But I think it works most of the time. I don't think it'll be perfect. And I do think that there are going to be people who are in extreme situations who may not get everything that they need every time. But I think it's going to be a more optimal number of needs being met than under capitalism. I'll grant you, and this is kind of what I alluded to at the beginning of this section, I will grant you that likely under socialism, goods and services would be distributed more equitably. There would be people who can't afford anything under a capitalist system that would probably see an increase in the percentage of the goods produced and the money produced uh, that they'd be receiving. But I still think that just on a principled level, I don't buy your argument that motivation stays the same or increases under a socialist system. So I think just, again, the size of the coffers. And also, I, I know that most people listening are probably going to laugh at the term, but just hear me out. The trickle-down effect <laughs> of the, and not just increase in resources, but also, again, the progress of the knowledge of the technology, et cetera, that is developed under a capitalist system does have benefits for those at the bottom that even if they're receiving a smaller percentage, if they're distributed less of the overall system, the quality of their lives increases. So purely on a theoretical level, that's where I see capitalism beating out socialism. It's fun, or it's at least hopefully entertaining to listen to when we bat around these like hypotheticals about the implications of one philosophy versus another. But I think it's more important to look at systems like socialism and capitalism with how they can practically be uh, implemented and how they do interact with the world as it is rather than this imaginary um, utopia that I keep talking about. So what does is, what is socialism look like and does it have a degree of capitalism imbued in it? And alternately, what about what does capitalism look like and is there a degree of socialism influencing it as well? Right. So I think the question here is, would we prefer a system that was predominantly capitalist, but as opposed to what we were talking about earlier, theoretically, if it was purely capitalist, you're not allowed to have taxation or publicly funded social welfare programs. Now, closer to the real world, we would say 
Do we prefer a capitalist system that's allowed to make some inroads into those socialist policies? Or do we prefer a socialist system that is allowed people, for example, some ownership of property? You know, so maybe it looks more similar to private ownership is okay, but we have inordinately high levels of taxation and massive publicly funded social safety nets. Well, you know which one of those I prefer. The first one? <laughs> um, I I don't believe that the way that the world is currently organized, there can be a pure implementation of, of socialism. I do believe there is a way to engage with the world that has practices that are heavily capitalism centric, but with a socialist mindset in order to create more equitable outcomes for the people involved. So that means, yeah, there will be private ownership of things and you will have money that you can use to buy food at the market rather than getting like a ration book or whatever. Um, but there is going to be a degree of uh, taxation that is going to guarantee certain outcomes for people that are not guaranteed under a system which does not have like the welfare state mentality. So better access to um, education for all children um, and, and, and a high quality of education, not necessarily dependent on uh, the the location your, um, your school is, you know, built in if it's next to mansions in Bel Air versus like a rural farmhouse, right? But there's also healthcare. There's also um, programs to make sure that elderly people are taken care of so that they um, do not become burdens to their family, but also have a high quality of life and, and, you know, eat well and everything like that. And I think that there are countries that sort of look like that. And I think people are probably screaming right now, why haven't you talked about Scandinavia? And that's what I'm talking about is like Scandinavia, right? Well, I'm going to talk about Scandinavia in point number three, where we do break down some specific case studies. But I don't necessarily disagree with you on some of the examples that you're bringing up. But again, I think that potentially you're conflating capitalism and the United States. So yes, the United States is shit at healthcare, education, childcare, uh, the prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that you can stay consistent with capitalist values and still choose specifically where you want to invest public money into what might be considered social safety nets, but I would consider investments. So if I was running a capitalist system that was looking to incorporate small degrees of socialism into it, the areas in which I would incorporate those potentially socialist principles would be things that have a return on investment. So I think that a capitalist system that wants to function should invest in healthcare. But I think the reason they do it is because you can find a profit paid back into the system when the people that live within that system are healthy or alive. I think that you can invest in education because for a lot of the reasons I talked about earlier, when you provide people that might not have the financial opportunities, the ability to go to school for eight years to become a doctor, to become a scientist, et cetera, et cetera, that returns an investment into the system. And it also deals with the problem that you brought up earlier, Kelly, about all of the people who might want to become doctors but don't have 
you know, the financial means to commit to that much schooling by virtue of the fact that they need to feed themselves during that time. Childcare would be another example of that. So I think that in my mind, the best system is a capitalist system that looks to incorporate socialist policies when those socialist policies would create an investment back into the system. So you prefer a system in which people are a means to an end, that they are granted certain comforts and care from the government insofar as that comfort and care pays back into the system which funded it. So it's a self-perpetuating system. I would prefer a system in which the people are considered the ends in and of themselves, that their their worth, their merit for being taken care of by the state is not dependent on how much they can give back to the state. What they uh, are entitled to is basic human dignity, independent of their ability to contribute, independent of their ability to be an investment upon which there is return. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to kind of the same thing is when we have a system that doesn't consider growth, that doesn't consider profitability, that doesn't consider investment, we don't have the resources to treat those people like people. We can, because we can tax more than we do currently. But who you would you be taxing? Everybody, corporations. Uh, you, you, you and I both know that corporations are not taxed to the full extent that they could be. And that would be a substantial difference in how public services are funded. Billionaires, Jeff Bezos alone, Elon Musk alone, like how much could they fund? Uh, none if they didn't have the motivation to become Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, which is kind of the point. I don't think I don't I don't think they wouldn't have done what they did. I just think that they would have done so at a higher tax rate. Like Jeff Bezos doesn't need to do things to avoid additional taxation, but he like keeps moving around the country to areas where there's lower income tax because somehow billions and billions of dollars aren't enough. <laughs> but doesn't that kind of doesn't that kind of prove the point? Like even at the level he's at where he is un incapable of spending the money. He he bought a fucking rocket ship and went to like Neptune or some shit, right? So even with that level of money, he's still looking for ways to keep as much of it as possible. In a system that you're creating that makes that impossible for him, why doesn't he just check out and say, if my income is capped at this, I have no motivation to look to push beyond it. We're talking about a man who would be maybe a single digit billionaire versus whatever number of billions he has currently. I think he would still have the motivation to become that wealthy. I just think we would do a more effective job at making sure he had a more proportional contribution to society. Hmm. So I don't I don't think that is necessarily in the spirit of your side, the side that is like billionaires shouldn't exist at all, even single digit billionaires or you know, I, I would argue that a socialist system would probably, maybe, you know, I'll let you decide it. What is the, in a socialist system, what is the most money one person should be able to have? Well, I'm taking it back to the, the point we're discussing now, which is like the practical applications of these systems in the world we actually live in, right? We're, we've gone past the idea, like, in in my world, Jeff Bezos never would have been born if we're talking about just like what is our ideal absent the practicality. But looking at the world as it stands right now, I prefer socialist systems with some element of capitalism, considering the conditions on the ground and how people think. 
So I do hold space that there would need to be, because it's unavoidable, I guess, billionaires in that system. But I don't think they would be as, I don't think there'd be as many of them. And I think they would have far fewer billions, but they might still have billions because they would still be operating in a world that has elements of capitalism that we cannot overcome. I don't know. I think in my mind, at the point where somebody has a billion dollars, you are in a capitalist system where you are incorporating some socialist elements rather than a socialist system incorporating some capitalist elements. That might seem semantics, but at the point where you're allowing people to have in the billion of dollars, you're you're capitalist. Well, let's also consider the parameters of this discussion. Are we talking about if we were to run a country within the world as it stands right now, or are we talking about a way to organize the world as a whole? Because I'm thinking about how if a country is saying these are how this, this is how we're going to organize our priorities and considering that there are other countries with different values, largely who engage in capitalist practices, then even if you prioritize socialism, you need to have a degree of capitalism in it in order to like make sure you get goods. But if we're taking it a step outside of that parameter and thinking about the way the globe should structure itself, then then we can do anything we want to because we don't have to contend with different national priorities. We can just have a global government and say it's going to be a socialist one. And that's that sounds like a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I think that would be, you know, not to... I'm not trying to straw man your side. I'm trying to be fair to it. But the premise you gave was that at its core, a socialist system is one in which the people are able to vote on. um, Let me read your notes here. They are able to vote on what is produced, where to produce it, how to produce it, when to produce it, etc. They have a stake in that production and they get to vote on what to do with the profits. So in my mind, if that's the system you incorporated that system now that we've moved a step away from pure socialism that system could vote to say hey yes even though these are the values we stand by we do recognize a person's right to have some degree of private property but i can't imagine a system like that voting to where it would be acceptable for somebody like Jeff Bezos to own a billion dollars. And so I guess that's where my question of, if you had a worldwide, to to your point that you just made, socialist system where everybody was able to vote on what was produced and how it was distributed, what cap do you think that that democratic council of everyone would place on, this is the most amount of money we think it's acceptable for a person to have? I don't want to pin myself to a number. I don't think there would be billionaires, but I also don't know if the people who are making these decisions collectively care as much about there being no billionaires as I do. Hmm. So I guess here's kind of what I'm getting at is if we're looking at the balance of the system and the question we're on now is where between capitalism, socialism, do we want to draw the line where on the spectrum, as opposed to a pure version of one of the pure version of the other? I think you're in kind of a catch-22 because either A, you allow exorbitant amounts of money to be owned by private individuals, in which case you access the motivation that they need to propel the world forward, but then you've pretty much found yourself on the capitalist side of things, in my opinion, or B, you go hard on the socialism and say, nope, you're only allowed to own X, but then you find that amount is not enough to 
really just like drive the world economy and ensure that we have the resources to do all the things that you want to do. That's my take on this. Well, let's start attacking all of your proposals then. (laughs) Free market solves. Bam. That's the proposal. But does it? I think so. So let's, let's move to the final segment of the conversation, because I think this will make answering that question the easiest, right? Where are we now? Because I suppose what I have to defend on the side of capitalism to answer your what does it question is pretty much the world has been capitalist for the last, you know, whatever number of decades with a couple of exceptions here and there. So if I think that capitalism is the better system, I should be able to point to examples in the world and show you why capitalism has done good stuff. And so to that point, I suppose the first statistic that I would start with is, according to the World Bank, the percentage of human beings in extreme poverty declined from 36%, one out of every three, more than one out of every three, in 1990 to 10% in 2015, and now is closer to 8.5%. So under a capitalist system, we have less than a third of humans on the planet living in extreme poverty as we did previously. So I know everybody laughs at trickle-down economics and just the concept in general, but I think this is pretty good evidence that there might be some merit to it. Can you attribute all of that to capitalism? Or can you attribute a good degree of that to social policy, which helps undermine income inequality and help redistribute wealth? Well, I contribute that to the the most recent conversation, question number two that we just had, which is a predominantly capitalist globe that drives progress and drives an expansion of resources and then some implementation of socialist policies that allow for redistribution in the most extreme cases. Uh, But it's certainly not a socialist system by any means at its core. Even in a world that has less poverty and less income inequality, there are still so many people on the margins who are not having their needs met and capitalism just doesn't care about them, uh, except as a means to an end or as a return on investment. So what can be done in a capitalist system to actively protect the most marginalized people in there and give them an opportunity to better their lot in life. And we don't have anybody who's at the bottom of the barrel. We have everybody given what they need in order to succeed and to have like an opportunity towards self-actualization. Right. But this is where I think that implementation of your socialist system, it sounds nice. And this is what I said up front in the episode. Ethically, it sounds great. Everybody's equal. Everybody gets what they need. But Practically, I just don't think that exists. And I think that if you were to ask the 27.5% of the globe, which is in the billions of people, um, how they feel about being a means to an end within the capitalist system, but the fact that they can feed their families more easily than they were able to otherwise, the fact that they have access to medicine more conveniently than they did otherwise, Do they feel bad about being a means to an end? I think their answer would be like, no, I'm good with it. Just keep the food coming, keep the housing coming, keep the electricity coming, keep 
keep the clean water coming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not answering my question. My question is, what do we do for the people who weren't captured within that, the, the rising tide? What do we do about that? How can capitalism create sort of equity that gets them what they need? Well, unless you're going to suggest otherwise, I think two answers. One, I don't think that we can ever take that extreme poverty down to 0%. So I think the question here is which system gets us closer to zero? And I think, again, a shift from 36 to eight and a half is pretty good. And two, that would be the answer to the question. I mean, if you want to know what would you do, I would keep doing what we are currently doing. And that trend continues to get as close to zero as we possibly can. I don't see a reason to shift away from something that's working at a at a pretty substantial rate. I think the reason that it has been as successful as it has towards reducing poverty is because there are also so many different policies in play that do address the social needs, and it's not purely a product of capitalism. I think capitalism may have been an engine towards that, but the actual driver was deliberate social policy in a lot of cases. I I think that that's true, but I guess my argument is that that social policy is the backpack that's riding on, you know, the student that is capitalism carrying it. We both have fun metaphors. <laughs> it was either that or the Yoda that's on the Skywalker's back, but that makes Yoda smarter than the... Anyway, I'm going to stop. Mm, okay. So here's another example. that That's looking at things globally. Um, and you did bring up the massed voices of our listeners crying out, but what about Scandinavia? Because I think that's an interesting case study that also falls on the side of capitalism. Scandinavia is a capitalist region. Sweden, for example, is capitalist. It just incorporates more socialism than most, right? But I think that it's a fallacy to say that if they continue in that direction indefinitely, things will continue to improve. And I think that if you look at the economic history of a country like Sweden, um, that would play out in the facts. So from about 1870 to 1970, for 100 years there, if my math serves me, Sweden's per capita GDP increased around tenfold, the highest growth rate in all of Europe. And it was after this period of rapidly growing prosperity that there was a shift to high tax policies. So that growth happened under a hyper-capitalist system. Then in 1970, Sweden decided to become the Sweden that the socialists point to now and start increasing their taxes, increasing social programming, et cetera, et cetera. But as a result of the shift away from the previous low tax policies, their economic growth stagnated. So over the past 50 years, for instance, Sweden's GDP per capita has only grown by a factor of 2.1. Today, recognizing that, Nordic social democrats in Sweden and across the region as a whole have adopted stricter immigration policies, tightened eligibility requirements for welfare benefit systems, taken tougher stances on crime carried out more business-friendly policies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So even kind of the poster child of the socialists made its progress under a capitalist system, tried to switch to socialism as you're suggesting, saw all of that progress stagnate, and now are back on the capitalist hype train. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sweden, et cetera, are not socialist countries, but I don't think that there is any country we can actually practically point to that 
is socialist or really has been. I think a lot of countries have had Marxist governments and have had um, you know social democratic leadership and have worked on different models of like collectivizing money and priorities for the people, but we've never seen a practical application of it. And there are reasons why a single country or a group of countries trying to implement socialism in a world that is otherwise not implementing the same sort of socialism could not be successful. So I applaud their effort. And I think that even if it didn't have the economic success that we would hope to see, that at least having an effort towards socialism as a priority at one point in a country's history, I think creates a better, um, more fertile ground for community and for taking care of each other, for caring about each other than, than countries that never try it at all. That's, yeah, that's an interesting point. Now, I'll, I'll definitely give you this one also, is if we could get global buy-in over you know, a shift to a more socialist system, I think that it would have a much more realistic chance of success. Do I think that there's any chance that would happen? No. But the um, optimist in me or the dreamer in me could certainly imagine a world where everybody's like, all right, look, <laughs> let's all just put all our cookies in one pile and distribute them equally. I, I would probably prefer living in a world like that. But given the way people are and given the way countries are, I think that capitalism is the only choice that has any chance of, of working. Yeah, right now. Um, the the world is evolving at a pace that it can't fully process. It's only within the past like 100 years that we're even able to communicate as quickly as we are around the world, let alone bring all of these disparate cultures and priorities and economic systems into alignment with one another. Uh, it, it could be a possibility, but I think it would probably be one in a, a pretty distant future. But I think that the world is trending towards caring more about other people. I think that the world is looking at compassion as being a higher priority than it has been previously. <laughs> like the era of colonialism was probably not an extremely compassionate era for human history. Um, but we're, and we're not fully out of the the post-colonial era um but in the in the future who knows if the world still exists in like a thousand years i could see it maybe on a thousand year timeline on a, on a shorter timeline the last example that i think i would bring up here is as opposed to a shift towards compassion and socialism the most major shift i think that we've seen in the world came in the form of china shifting from Obviously, you, you might have a slightly different phrase for it or label for it, but a socialist country into a capitalist country. And I think China was the only country in the world that has managed to jump the gap from developing country to developed country. And the number of people living in extreme poverty in China dropped by 800 million people, which is the single largest contributor to the reduction of the number of people living in extreme poverty worldwide by a ton. And so I think, again, similar to Sweden on the socialist 
first world end of the spectrum. China on the socialist developing world end of the spectrum also saw some pretty massive benefits that were enjoyed by people from the top to the bottom inside the country, shifting away from socialism and to capitalism. I mean, it's it's inarguable that uh, the emerging middle class in China and other developments there have shifted the landscape culturally and economically. But I think that's because, the again, the globe has made its decision about what it prioritizes and made the um, environment in which to operate as a capitalist country more inviting than than otherwise. So I have to contend with reality. The reality is, as much as you maybe want certain outcomes to happen, uh, this is the way the world has organized itself. You know, obviously, on my side of the debate, I, I do think the practicality would suggest capitalism is the way to move forward. But to what you were saying earlier, just about empathy and compassion, I, at the same time, think that there's a lot of things that we conflate with capitalism. So I said a few times in this episode, you know, I accused you, Kelly, of conflating the United States with capitalism. I think that the sentiments that you're putting forward, there's so much room for us to incorporate those inside of our societies, maybe if it's not necessarily um, in our economic systems purely. But I mean, in the United States, we have racism, we have gender inequality, we have a poor educational system, we have a two-party political system, we have tax loopholes, we have military and prison industrial complexes, we have insurrections, we have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I think that a lot of those things are seemingly intertwined with capitalism, but I don't necessarily think that they're intrinsic. And so, you know, pushing for these socialist ideals as a means of seeing what we can parse out and what sort of evils we can separate from a capitalism and eliminate, I do think gives us a lot of the progress that you're looking for. Whereas in the system right now, capitalism does seem like military and prison industrial complex being really good examples. Capitalism seems to have subsumed those things and kind of made it part of itself, uh, which I don't think necessarily has to be the case. And so, you know, you asked, how do we get that 8.5% closer to zero? I think those are really good areas where we can sort of take these ideologies of socialism and try and purify capitalism as much as possible to make it a more humane system. So at the end of the day, are we saying our sides kind of need each other? I think so. I think we need to work like capitalists and feel like socialists. Oh, friendship. Oh, gross. <laughs> All right. Last question here. Very important. If in the spirit of capitalism, we were going to sell out the podcast to a big corporation to sponsor indubitably, which corporation would you sell out to? So we know I'm not a fan of corporations, so I'm going to kind of cop out on the answer, mm -hmm. but we're going to get an angel investor and I'm not going to know who they are. So I won't know if their money came from like exploiting poor people. And we're going to just incorporate with the seed money from the angel investor. So you're not even going to know who they are? I, uh, I, yeah, ignorance is bliss in this case because I can't think of a single corporation I would knowingly take money from for, for this. I think that I would sell out to 
Dunder Mifflin Paper Company? See, my answer was actually sort of real. I was thinking about like, <laughs> if if we're going to do anything, like anything, and it's completely hypothetical, then I was thinking about like um, Royco from Succession, because they got money for days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, realistically, though, I think I got to represent California here. I think it'd be real sweet if we got sponsored by In-N-Out. Ah, I would go with Stumptown Coffee Roasters. They are based in Portland and I love coffee and I rarely get Stumptown because I consider it sort of pricey and I would really like to have a supply of their cold brew in my fridge at all times and I would like them to make their canned cold brew that has cream in it but with a non-dairy option and if they already do that I don't know about it and I've um I need it thank you well if you stop telling them that they aren't allowed to make money under your socialist worldview then maybe they would sponsor us i never said stumptown couldn't make money well if you listeners happen to know anybody that (laughs) owns in and out or stumptown coffee roasters get them in touch with us we're willing out of the goodness of our hearts to allow them to sponsor this show yeah we're so kind that we will i guess accept whatever money you want to give us and hopefully it's a lot thank you in advance to them Thank you to all our listeners. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. Let us know in the Spotify poll, capitalism versus socialism, and we'll see you in the next episode. Toodles. Toodles.